Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Good afternoon, Canada. It's Tony here. Welcome to another edition of Canadian Common Sense. Today's date is October 21st, and it's yeah, Tony here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC, and all I see is corruption, corruption, corruption. Well, that is what we see, and you know, it was really hard to, uh, to try to figure out which content to put into the show today, because there is so much that's got me just ticked right off this week but um on the show today corruption 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 taxes taxes and more taxes we've got elections we've got covid isolation bunkers and lobsters in atlantic canada so i'd love to start with uh with the elections because by the time we get to our show next week we will have new governments in British Columbia and Saskatchewan, and there will be two new MPs elected in Toronto. That's right. So in BC, we've got, uh, I mean, the situation hasn't really changed here. It's, it's going to be an NDP landslide and it's really disappointing because they're riding on the coattails of Dr. Bonnie Henry for how she's dealt with the COVID outbreak here in BC. And, uh, people are voting. I mean, they're voting for the NDP because they're voting for Dr. Henry, who isn't even a member of the NDP party, who would have been in that position regardless of who was in power. And um, and that's and that's about it. I mean, they have no plan to recover from this uh, from the pandemic. I mean, we I talked about it last week. How twenty five percent of all the businesses in British Columbia will be closed for good by spring. Ouch. Twenty all twenty five percent of all the businesses, and Ontario and Quebec are worse. But in BC, uh, just my like even our our one and only local pub here, the owner has said that if they. Because he has lost his patio seating for the winter, uh, he is as, as long as the COVID restrictions remain in place, and he can only seat fifty percent capacity. He cannot make er, he can't get himself out of the hole that COVID has dug him into, and he will be closing uh, for good before the winter's over. Yeah, you know, and similar all across Canada, if government had just gotten out of the way and told businesses, here's what you need to do, or, you know, make sure you keep yourself and your clientele, your staff safe, and, you know, here's some guidelines, but instead, they've just got draconian and said, nope, you have to shut down. And there's already kind of musings here in Saskatchewan, too, because, uh, Similar to BC, I mean, it's a foregone conclusion the Saskatchewan party is going to win Monday's election. And, I mean, they're already starting to hint at 
while we've reduced gathering sizes now because there's been a, a small spike in cases and we don't want to have to go into another lockdown. Uh, if you read between the lines, that means another lockdown is coming. And and the same. I mean, the Saskatchewan leads the nation in, right now in um, mortgage defaults. And that doesn't get better when you shut businesses down. No. And, and the thing is, is that we've done this to ourselves. We've done this to our own economy. We have absolutely destroyed it. And I don't mean we've just destroyed it. We've annihilated it. I mean, our economy is toast. And we will be sending untold millions of people into bankruptcy. Businesses will be lost. People's homes will be lost. And all for what? Something that has infected get this, half a percent of the Canadian population. And half a percent of that half percent have died. Yeah, you know, it's a really, uh, when you you put it that way, like it's a very cynical ploy for, uh, especially in British Columbia, for the government to call an early election, you know, with all this stuff that's going on, just so that they can sort of stay ahead of the, of the fallout. And yeah. it's just not when they have fixed election dates. So this was actually when our election was supposed to take place. Yeah. But um, actually, and I guess I'll, what I'll wrap up Saskatchewan's election with is it was actually encouraging that there was polling done here and 27% of people re- who responded want to see a third party in the legislature. Because right now it's just the Saskatchewan party and the NDP. And of course they don't, they never asked, who that third party would be because there are four other parties that are not currently represented in the legislature. But I mean, the liberals are only running three candidates. Uh, the green party is running almost a full slate, but what those two have in common here in Saskatchewan is their leaders are both crazy. So I can't <laughs> see people rallying behind either of those two parties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully it bodes well for the progressive conservatives and for our listeners who don't know, Tony is running in this election in Saskatchewan as a progressive conservative. And uh, I, I hope, I hope you win. I wish you all the luck. And, uh, and next week our listeners will find out if you won or not. Yeah. It was exciting. I mean, I'm uh, we don't have the resources like monetary or human resources that the larger parties have because we're just a rebuilding party here, but it's exciting at least. And uh you know, getting out talking to a lot of people. I've visited just about 2,000 homes now. So, I mean, I'm not going to get to everybody, but it's uh, it's been good. And I mean, I've learned a few things for sure. So uh, and it's not my first election I've run in. So I'm in, at least I had that bit of a leg up. But uh, we'll move from Saskatchewan. There's two by-elections going on federally in Toronto. And I'll mention Toronto Centre only because that's where the leader of the federal green party is, is trying to get a seat, but Toronto center has been a safe liberal riding since probably 1867. I don't know, but there's a, there is about the same chance that a snowball might have, have surviving in hell that that the Toronto center won't go liberal on Monday, but I don't know much about York center. That, that was, uh, I can't even remember the liberal who was there before, but I'm wondering if that might be in play for somebody else. Yeah. I, I'm, 
I would hope they're both in play. I mean, if people if, are going to elect liberals in Toronto Center with everything that's going on and everything that's coming to light on a daily basis, um, then I've lost all hope for Toronto. Oh, yeah. You know, you're not wrong. Like, there's a... Uh... And I think that there are, there was I'm listening to I think it was CPAC. There was one of the commentators was saying that these two by elections could be where some of these parties are sort of trying out election strategies so that they can get ready for the next general election, which yeah. uh, you know which will be coming. Who knows when we'll actually start talking about that one right away. But I I like you. I'm really hoping that people in Toronto I mean downtown Toronto or not. Like, can you please just even as a protest vote? not elect a liberal please toronto yeah help a brother no, out. no i mean if if the liberals win these by-elections um then i really i i i just don't know what to even expect in the next general election i mean we're finding out daily even more stuff i mean two big news items yesterday um and uh, and then today we almost ended up in an election today. Um, yeah, if it, let's go if, it, if it wasn't for Jagmeet Singh and the NDP once again, I mean, thanks a lot, Jagmeet. Yeah. Tool. Well, yeah, and you know, again for the third or fourth show in a row, I will repeat my challenge to Jagmeet Singh to debate. And again, the only topic for debate, Mister Singh. Is, is Jagmeet saying a complete imbecile? And yes, I promise you're just giving me more ammunition for me to tear you to pieces. So I mean, what, what happened today, Lewis? You sent me uh, a couple of emails and texts over the past few days. I haven't been able to keep up with the corruption. And yeah, each each one of those emails just made you angrier. Um, it did, yeah. We, I mean, we, we avoided uh, an election, so we uh, so there's the breaking news, Canada. We're not. Uh, going to a no confidence vote but what have we learned lewis well we found out that the prime minister's uh press secretary has been found guilty of ethics violations uh, <laughs> i have to be i have to be quite honest i am not entirely sure what those violations were i believe it i, I believe it might be to do with uh disclosing conflict of interest um, items and didn't and or did not disclose possible conflict of interest items or, or, or something within the time period allowed um, I believe that's what it is but I'm not positive because there was so much other stuff happening that I saw that and I just went oh my god really this on top of the uh, of a of a, a top political staffer um, in the Liberal Party in the uh, Ministry of Justice. No, I'm trying to remember the uh, anyways works for the Minister of Justice. Good, we need to talk about justice too, but but carry on. Yeah, so Minister of Justice, uh, a top aide for the Minister of Justice has, uh, there's been emails uh, brought out into the public from this aide to the Chief of Staff 
saying that uh, warning them against uh, ethics problems and conflict of interest issues with regards to selecting and appointing judges. That yeah, that's the what liberal, I read today that you sent me. Yeah, the Liberal Party was involved in selecting the judges, not just the Liberal government, but the Liberal Party. Oh my gosh! And and the uh, and using uh, third party liberal party like liberal party uh, affiliated third party groups to do research on possible uh, appoint like uh, judges to be appointed, and so there's there's and he said and he he, he said. This reminded him a lot of the uh, problems, like the, the the issues they had in Quebec when Jean Charest took took over as premier in Quebec, and they found out that the previous governments had been doing the exact same thing, and Jean Charest had to uh, call together a, a government, like an all-parties government commission, to um, weed through it all, figure out what was going on and how to fix it. And why would you be surprised? Yeah. And so apparently this staffer said what's happening now is exactly what was happening in Quebec. So we've got that. We've got the ethics violations of the press secretary. We've got, uh, like we just keeps giving and giving. Um, and then the yeah, because the uh, the Kielbergers finally came through and published some of the documents that they had uh, promised that they would, and these documents uh, contradicted their own testimony to the ethics committee or to the finance committee. I can't remember which one it was. Finance committee. Finance. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they, their their own documents contradicted their to, their own testimony, and they they actually paid the Trudeau family, various members of the Trudeau family, a lot more money than they said than they originally testified to. Yeah, I sort of heard that Trudeau's brother Sasha or Alexander, which. Uh, I guess the names are interchangeable, apparently, made, I believe it was $67,000 over a period of six months. Um, not that he was getting a salary, just happened to be spread over six months. Sixty-seven grand is some pretty good coin for six months of work, whatever it was that he was doing. Yeah. And Justin Trudeau, up until 2012... I think it was between 2006 and 2012 when he was a, an MP was paid $1.3 million in speaking fees for charities. Yeah. See, that's what bothered me the most is that he was charging charities speaking fees and, and, and his travel and his accommodations. And I thought, a, you're an MP 
you should be doing that pro bono just because of the fact you're an MP and getting paid a good salary. At that time, the salary was about 150 grand. And it's a charity. I mean, you give to charities. You don't take from charities. Every, and, every single MP. Every single MP. I'm going to say it three times just so that people understand this. Every single MP in the House of Commons speaks at charity events and they do it for free. For free. But not Justin mm -hmm. Trudeau. Justin Trudeau charged $1.3 million over six years to various charities. One charity couldn't even sell enough tickets for the event and asked for a refund and he refused. He only paid it back after after it was made public and people started, uh, uh, or there was a lot of political pressure from the conservatives for him to pay it back. That's the only reason he paid it back. Oh yeah, he had to get shamed into it. Yeah, he wasn't going to give it back for a kid who was already born a millionaire. I mean, that's uh, oh, it is shameful. It's a, it's absolutely ridiculous, and it's just. There, I think what I said to you last night. There just it just never ends. Every single day we find more corruption, and it always kind of winds its way back to Trudeau. I mean, it's his chief of staff and her husband lobbying the government. And now it's his press secretary. And it's just, it's, it's him. all connected to him. Like, yeah. and, uh, and I really hope that the, some kind of committee can, can get studying. We, because Bill Morneau left way too easily. And I want to know where the, where the buck stops with him. I want to know why he left. So, so suddenly, because it's exactly. not, it's not because he was Mr. Austerity like they're trying to get us to believe because oh. there was nothing, nothing uh, about austerity with that guy. And no. so I there's so many, so many questions. And like you, I wish there was a committee that had the teeth to be able to get through the get deep into the wee scandal. And the well, here you go, Canada. Today, uh, the conservatives put a motion, put forth a motion in the House of Commons to create an anti-corruption committee, and it was up for a vote in the House of Commons today. The Liberals made it a confidence vote, and guess who voted with the Liberals to keep? this anti-corruption committee from being formed and the government from falling. Let Do you me guess. To... Yeah. I'm going to guess that's going to be, um, I don't like him. Jagmeet Singh. Ding, 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 ding. Jagmeet Singh. And the three Green Party MPs. Oh, well, of course. Yeah. So Jagmeet Singh and the NDP well, Jagmeet Singh whipped, like they, they whipped this vote. So the NDP had to had to vote as a block against this anti-corruption committee. The Green Party voted against the anti-corruption committee. I, I, I don't know why. I mean, the, the, I, I have no idea why the Green Party would vote against it. I mean, they've got nothing to gain. No. Um, 
But once again, Jagmeet Singh and the NDP sell Canada out. Do yeah, we do we want do we want an election during a pandemic? Absolutely not. I think you can agree with me on that. Absolutely, I can. But the thing is, I mean, I I get it that yeah, you're you're playing a game of chicken here is what they were doing, but. What really ticked me off was listening to Pablo Rodriguez on uh, Power and Politics. And that guy's a fool. He really is. I mean, Pablo Rodriguez is a liberal house leader for our listeners who don't know who he is. Yeah. And he's he was on with Vashi Capellos. And uh, to me, her star keeps rising. I really like her. She doesn't let them get away with with you know, the, the political dance. And no. he, he was trying to spin to her first that, Oh, because the uh, the liberals were going to allow for a committee that was not dominated by liberals, which should be the case anyway, because it's a minority government and they're supposed to be representative of the, the House of Commons. But uh, I guess I'll give the background on that. The liberals' first idea was uh, their counterproposal to this anti-corruption committee was to be a separate committee that was dominated by liberals and chaired by a liberal to uh, to investigate. The liberals. Oh, huh, I'm surprised, but the conservatives chose not to go for that. So uh, the next step that Mr. Rodriguez was talking about was to say that, oh, well, we propose to have a different committee that would be you know, reflective of the House of Commons. So the, you know, it would it'd be a liberal minority, but then MPs would not have to be compelled to come speak to the committee. And he was trying to tell Vashi Capellos that, Oh, well, I mean, any liberal who would get asked would go speak anyway. So really, it's not necessary to compel them. And don't even start. Yeah. So uh, well, it, this is a. This, this there's so much corruption here and they're trying to hide something. I mean, they they they, they couldn't make it any more obvious that they're trying to hide what happened. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, the, to, to make that a confidence motion. So if they vote to create this committee, you're going to, the government will fall. Yeah. Go F yourself. I'm sorry. This, well, this, they are hiding something and it, they, they are so desperate to keep it hidden that they would actually call an election over it. Yeah. Isn't that something like that was a, uh... I was thinking that today because I think uh, uh, might even been CPAC. They were talking about that, and uh, it was, uh, I believe, a Toronto Sun columnist who had said that basically that he said that you know whatever it is that they are trying to cover up must be serious when Justin Trudeau is willing to go into an election that he doesn't care if he wins and he's probably just as happy to lose. And I thought, well, that's probably pretty accurate, but whatever it is that they're trying to cover up has got to be huge and when you look at the string of corruption and you know that it always leads back to justin trudeau i uh i don't think a, a prime minister will ever end up going to jail but wow there's got to be something that's absolutely enormous behind this yeah and, and honestly man i think i think that it's about damn time that the RCMP get involved in this because I mean, they, they, this doesn't smell past the smell test at all. No, I mean, this, this needs to have be investigated by somebody who has the teeth to do it because these committees are being 
uh, are, are being hamstrung. Their, their hands are tied behind their backs. Uh, the liberals keep filibustering. There's, there's no way for those committees to actually get to the bottom of anything. We need an investigation by someone with the teeth to do it. And the RCMP are the only ones with the teeth to do it. However, the RCMP is led by Bill Morino's niece. Yep, that's right. And so it's difficult to expect the RCMP to conduct a thorough and impartial investigation when they essentially answer to the PMO. And yeah. there was this PMO who appoints the, the RCMP commissioner. So it really bothers me that, that Canada doesn't have, you know, an arm's length law enforcement agency, like, you know, equivalent to the FBI in the United States or the CIA or something. We've got CSIS, but CSIS is a branch of the RCMP. So again, you're going to have yeah. that same well, conflict of interest. Well, the difference is CSIS and the uh, and and the CIA both operate under the same rules, and that is that they're not to perform uh, intelligence gathering on their own citizens. True. Yeah. So CSIS can't do that. I mean, they're not a police force. They're an, they're a, an intelligence agency. Uh, mm -hmm. If if we if we wanted, I mean, we need we need a branch, uh, a law enforcement branch that's equivalent to the FBI. And where where the, it's it's not, they don't answer to the PMO. They answer to the to the people of Canada. Yeah, good point. I mean, it, it's I'm I'm so sick of this. I'm I'm sick of it all. I I don't think Justin Trudeau wants to be prime minister anymore. I think he wants out. I think there's uh, a reason that twice in the last couple of months we've almost gone to an election. Um, I, I think that he wants to lose, but his ego is too big for him to step down. See, that's actually a good point. You, I know you brought up and I'm, I'm not sure if it was last week or week before when you had, had talked about that, the fact that, you know, he's tired of the job. And I think that you're right. I mean, the fact that he doesn't have a majority has been a shot to his ego. So I, I actually I agree with you. I think that he he is tired of the job and just wants to wants to be defeated. But you know he doesn't. I think he'll be happy to lose an election. I think he would be really upset if they got thoroughly trounced in an election, though, because that would damage his ego as well. Yeah, but I I don't think his ego would allow him to step down. No, I I think that he just he wants to go to an election and lose it that way, so that he can say he never quit. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Personally, right. I would rather quit than lose an election, but yeah, I mean, kind of go out on a high note, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Quit on my own terms. Yeah. But yeah, but I think I don't, I just don't think that he's got it in him. I don't think he he's honestly, I don't think he's got the balls to do it. No, that, that you know, I, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. So, uh, you want to talk about the uh, Micmac um, lobster issue in Nova Scotia? Yeah, let, let's bat that one down because I, I'm going to get really angry about the topic we bring up after that. So, okay. for those of you in Canada that haven't heard yet, the uh, the Mi'kmaq uh, nation in southwestern Nova Scotia at 
and all you East Coast listeners, or those of you who are from the East Coast, please forgive me when I say Sagadagadi, where the uh, the dispute's going on. It's over fishing rights now. Apparently, the the Mi'kmaq were are, were exercising their their treaty rights to make a moderate living, and of course, this being Canada, the moderate living was never actually defined. So the Mi'kmaq fishers fishermen were I guess out fishing lobster and then the regular commercial fishermen decided they'd had enough because it was I'm guessing it must be out of season and they decided to go out on the attack and they actually burned down a was it, was it a boat they burned? Uh, no they burned down the uh, um, a building um, no, that's right yeah they but they went out in the water and they were just essentially chased the, the Mi'kmaq off the water and cut their uh, their trap lines. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I apologize. I said Micmac and it's Migma. Um, so I apologize for that. <laughs> um, yeah. There's there's so many different uh, Aboriginal groups in the country. I, I can I and some of them have very similar names. Um, yeah, exactly. So so well, yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know a lot about this to be. I mean, I, there's so much going on in Canada right now that I haven't been able to really pay too close of attention to this issue. Um, I, I do know that it's, it's got to do with lobster uh, harvesting out of season, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and it's because the Mi'kmaq can, can continue to uh, harvest lobster throughout the year, whereas non- First Nations groups have to uh, abide by season, like the the fishing season. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, I mean, this is honestly, it's an issue that I, I, I have a problem with. Um, I, I and this may get me called a racist, but I think we should all abide by the seasons, by the hunting seasons, by the fishing seasons. All of those things. I think every resident of Canada should be abiding by it. Um, the this. I, I mean, I, I grew up. I knew. Uh, like I, I was. I grew up in an era where the First Nations were allowed to string nets across the river and just take all the fish out that they wanted to. And they and there were a lot of a lot of people who did that. Um. I mean, this is, it's, it's an, it's something that can be abused and is abused. And so, I mean, I, I I just think that we should all abide by the same rules. I mean, this is, you want to talk about systemic racism, that is systemic racism where we have different laws for different races and Canada is the only first world nation uh, in the, I, I believe in the world, who actually has different laws for different races. Yeah, see that, that, and I don't know enough about treaties to know the wording. If uh, you know, if part of the treaty is that they've got hunting and fishing rights year round or not. So I mean, yeah. I really can't speak to that. I know Maybe. when I was a kid, like yeah. you, there was a like because my mother is Métis, and so there's people that she knew that were that would hunt year round and, and it was supposed to be for subsistence, but 
well, big surprise. They were selling deer meat and moose meat year-round, so it's not really subsistence. But I will have to say, from listening to Chief Sack, who's the, the, the chief of this band, he was on Power and Politics, and he was saying that they've got 550 lobster traps out. And he said, compared to... It was, I think his numbers were about 400,000 or so for the commercial fishermen. So it doesn't sound like they're trying to, to hoard lobster by any means, but I totally understand why the commercial fishermen would be ticked about watching these other boats go in the water when they can't. I mean, I, uh, cause it, it just doesn't seem fair. No, absolutely. I mean, it, it, there's a difference between subsistence fishing and, um, market fishing, right? Exactly. I mean, if you're, if if all they're doing, if if the Mi'kmaq are fishing, like if they've got their lobster traps out there, and it is for personal consumption, then okay, I understand. And during and during the commercial fishing season, maybe they, you know, they could be uh, uh, trapping lobster and selling it on the market as well. But in the off season, maybe maybe it should only be for personal consumption. I I don't know what the I honestly don't know what the solution is. I, I'm I the, the the way Canada deals with the First Nations, I, I just have a real problem with it. I've always had a problem with it. I don't like the fact that we all have different rules. Um, and it's and I mean that's that if you want to get into the systemic racism, that is the systemic racism in Canada. Yeah, but, you know, I like your idea, though. I think that because, I mean, there was never really defined in that Supreme Court decision in 1999 what a moderate living is. But I think you're actually onto something that if they're fishing for subsistence in the off season and then, yeah, have their commercial enterprise when fishing is in season, I think that would actually be a win-win. Like, I don't know what the, again, what the wording for the treaty is, but I actually like your idea. I think that would actually be a, pretty darn good compromise yeah i think so yeah all right so all here's right. what's really going to get me going okay how do you like paying taxes uh i don't oh well our liberal government is, is actually looking into two new ways to tax canadians isn't that exciting oh tell number me more one, number one and this was brought out by i forgotten who it was i don't care some liberal mp decided that maybe it's time for an inheritance tax in canada that's one of them oh god yes uh because we don't pay enough taxes while we're alive so let's take that money that we've already paid taxes on after tax money that we put away to pass on to our loved ones and have that taxed again isn't that a great idea See, this is something that we've never had in Canada, but they have in the U.S. And it's it's a ridiculous uh, it's a ridiculous thing to have. I mean, in the U.S., it actually causes families economic hardship. It can, because, yeah, because they they inherit their parents' home, but the tax bill on it is due immediately, like as soon as. As soon as that house is transferred into the chi- into the, the the children's names, and I say children, but you know they're adults, but yeah. into into their the 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 homeowner's children's name after they die, 
the tax is due on that house immediately. So if you can't sell that house right away, the IRS comes knocking. And that's the kind of thing that, that I'd be afraid to have in Canada. I mean, what if you're, what if your your parents die and your dad has like a, a classic, you know, 67 Mustang fastback that you helped him build when you were a teenager. And that car is inherited to you in the will. Well, that car is worth a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and now you and now you got to pay a tax bill on that. Yep, that's uh, yeah, that's a that, liberal different way. That is BS. Oh, but we're not done yet. What do we say in this show? There's more. There's more. Because our friend Jagmeet Singh, and it was actually his house leader uh, Peter Juliet, had suggested that it is indeed time for a wealth tax, oh, and. Good. Initially, the Liberals said, well, a wealth tax for people who have assets, an asset value, a net asset value, only got a precision matters, of $25 million or greater should be subject to a tax. Peter Joliet said, hold my beer. Let the top 1% of Canadians allegedly starts at $6.1 million in net assets. So, Anybody with $6.1 million in net assets, and I'll explain that in a second, could be subject to this quote-unquote wealth tax. Now, net assets means that if you have land, buildings, equipment, all the value of all of your assets, you know, and that could include cash assets, that could include pensions, stocks, all of those assets minus your any outstanding loans, et cetera, that becomes your net assets. So I thought, well, you and I, Lewis, will never likely have $6.1 million in net assets. So for us regular working stiffs, oh, well, hey, that's no problem, $6.1 million, those rich guys. And I thought, well, you know who has $6.1 million or more in net assets? My boss and a lot of farmers and manufacturers, people who own factories or big fleets of vehicles. It doesn't take much to rack up $6.1 million in net assets. And if all these employers got to pay an extra tax, a quote unquote wealth tax on that, where is that money going to come from? My paycheck, your paycheck, your paycheck, Canada. Yeah. No, this is the wealth tax. This is one that California uh, attempted and uh, decided against because it was too radical even for California. Wow. <laughs> and so, I mean, let's... They need to pump their brakes a bit. I mean, this is getting insane. I mean, a wealth tax, an inheritance tax, they want, they're, they've want they been talking about uh, putting a tax on our primary residence, um, which... I mean, we knew it was coming as soon as they started requiring that you declare whether or not you sold your house on your income tax uh, return every year. Um, right. This is this is just getting out of hand. Like it, it's getting crazy. I mean, I Canadians right now, thirty percent of Canadians 
because of what's been going on, 30% of Canadians are, are living on their credit cards at the moment. I believe that. So where, I mean, I know the inheritance tax and the, uh, well, no, no, let me rephrase that. Not the inheritance tax, but the, the, the wealth tax won't affect people like that, but, uh, but it'll affect their employers. It'll affect their employers and their employers, you know, may have to cut jobs, may may decide, you know what, to hell with this country. I'm out of here. I'm glad you went there because that is exactly what happened in Europe. 12 countries in the 1990s decided that they would try to try out a wealth tax. And within the two years, nine of those countries all said, oops, how about no? And why would those nine countries have said no and scrapped their wealth tax? Because of what you just said, because companies said, um, no, we're not going to pay that. We're all just, we're just going to go to Switzerland and take our assets there. And that's what a lot of them did. And so suddenly these countries are scrambling because the wealthiest people picked their money up and left, which is what always happens. So I don't understand why these, the NDP or the liberals would ever think this is a good idea. Well, because they, they believe that, that people serve the government, not the other way around. And and so they, they believe that, and and in the NDP's case, they believe in wealth distribution, that they believe that, that, you know, that thing, you know, uh, when Barack Obama said, uh, you know, the owner of that business, you didn't build that. You yeah. know, they, there's this mentality on the left that, that you didn't build your business. All yeah, the but- people around you built it for you. And, and, it, and, it, and as someone who's in business for himself, I can tell you that's a, a pile of, you know, what? Oh, it totally is. And what bugs me the most, and this was one of, well, I guess I, I first, you know, I attributed it to Obama was this, all this talking about, Oh, the, the wealthy need to pay their fair share. And we're going to ask the wealthiest to pay a little more. It's like, you never ask that. You extort the taxes from us. Yeah. You force it out of them. It's not, you don't ask anybody to pay taxes. You hold them at gunpoint and say, you're paying it or you go to jail. That's what it is. That's your choice. Yeah. Well, that's right. I mean, it's not like they're, uh, you know, not as if the wealthiest, in any country are not paying their fair share. I mean, I know in Canada, the top 20% of income earners, and it might even be lower than that, pay 80% of the tax bill and the lowest 50% pay virtually nothing at all. So who's, who's not paying their fair share here, honestly? Yeah. Like, no, that's very, that we it, need it's, to very, it's very true. And that's why, you know, you and I, I know this from when we were both living in Alberta, you and I both agree with a flat tax. Yeah. Where everybody pays the same rate. Because someone who makes $100,000 a year or someone that makes $20,000 a year should pay the same 15% flat income tax rate. And the thing is, is that the person who makes $100,000, they'll be paying fifteen dollars 
the person making 20000 is only going to pay $3,000. Exactly. Like, so that, that's it, their fair share. That's their fair share. There is no fairer share than a flat tax. And, no, exactly. and, and, I love and, and if you and if you really want to, um, you know, if you want to make it so you're helping the the bottom ten percent out or the bottom, you know, the bottom income earners out, well, let's say that that flat tax doesn't start until, let's say, thirty thousand dollars a year, or yep. twenty five, or let's go with a. A, a little bit lower number, $25,000 a year. So you, there's a $25,000 personal exemption. And then on it, every dollar over that, you pay 20%, let's say. Right. Yeah. I think I that would be, I think that would be great. The, the people who are truly poor don't, don't pay that tax bill. But, Everybody else does. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. And I, but as long as everybody pays the same flat rate. Yeah. Cause I think what, uh, what you hit on there that I don't know if, if liberal and NDP types just choose to ignore that or, or what, but you're absolutely right. The guy who's making a hundred grand a year will pay that 15 grand in taxes or 20 grand in taxes Whereas a person making thirty grand a year will only get taxed on ten thousand, so they're only going to pay fifteen hundred. So yeah. you're right; everybody actually pays their fair share. And and the, here of what I know, liberals and NDP types don't understand is the more money we get to keep, the more money we put back into the economy. So put it back in our hands where it actually gets spent better. Well, and the thing is, is that no no government program or government handout or anything like that has ever brought anybody out of poverty. The only thing that, that the only cure for poverty is a job. So if, if everybody has more money in their pockets and more money to spend, more jobs are created. And if you don't, and, and that, and a job is the only cure for poverty, the only cure. Exactly. And so if you keep penalizing everybody and you keep penalizing the wealthy, you keep penalizing, and I say wealthy, the top 10% income earners in Canada starts at $75,000 a year. And that's that's not wealthy. That's not wealthy. So anybody who thinks that, I mean, that's a teacher. That's a, that's a, 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 a uh, a teacher who's been teaching for 10 years and has two degrees that's a teacher that makes it that's in the top 10% of income earners in Canada so yeah. if you if you want to uh so there's there's nothing wealthy about $75,000 a year absolutely nothing wealthy about that so you know let's Let's come up with a fair tax system, one that's easy to understand for most people, and one that's fair to everyone. And to me, that's that's a flat tax. Yep. No, I'm with you. And uh, to me, an inheritance tax is definitely off the table. 
That is completely completely unfair. The government has no right to that money when it the taxes have already been paid on it. Yep, exactly. And so like a, and, and these kind of taxes is what leads to com- people the you know the job creators leaving this country. And honestly, I'm a job creator. And if these if these kinds of taxes get passed, you know, I just might pack it up and say to hell with this country too. Oh, and I wouldn't blame anybody for doing that. Yeah. So there's our time, Canada. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll leave you on a sour note again. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but that's oh. all right. So uh, look forward to our next show, Canada, because we'll have a couple new provincial governments and we'll see what happens in those Toronto by-elections. And who knows? With the way the House of Commons is going, maybe we'll be looking at another confidence vote next week. So uh, stay tuned. And as Ed Ed Whalen used to say on Stampede Wrestling, in the meantime and in between time, I'm Tony in Saskatchewan. And I'm Lewis out here in BC, and I'm just wishing Tony good luck in in his election uh, this weekend. And um, we'll, uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. Good night, Canada. Thank you.